From the Folium Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media. You know, we used to broadcast the news. We would tell people what the story was. When digital journalism came along, it, it became less about us dictating and more about us listening. Our guest today is Michael O'Connell, who is the senior digital editor at Federal News Radio in Washington, D.C., as well as the founder and host of the podcast It's All Journalism and the author of the book Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting. Michael O'Connell, welcome to Modern Media. Thank you for for having me. Uh, I would just add that I'm one of the founders and uh, one of the producers of the podcast. There are other people involved. Oh, okay. Uh, just because I wanted to make sure that was addressed. <laughs> Good. But, I, but I've been Appreciate involved that. since the beginning uh, in 2000, August 2012. So you started six years ago. Yeah. So what got you into podcasting? Uh, I had been a fan of podcasting. Uh, I, I would listen to it on my commute. Um, I would listen to it when I was doing things ar- around. Uh, you know, I, I do a journalism podcast, so everybody thinks I must listen to, you know, all of the High class NPR, you know, you know, thought piece type of podcast. But you know, it was listening to, you know, Mark Maron, uh, listening to uh, Kevin Smith's podcast and uh, uh, the Nerdist because I was interested in pop culture and things like that. And the, the Nerdist and um, Kevin Smith in particular were very much proselytizing, you know, do it yourself, you know, start your own podcast. And so that was kind of in my ear um, at the, at the time. Um, I was, you know, in, in the interactive journalism program at American University. I was, uh, you know, I think probably beyond my mid, mid-career, but I was a journalist who was kind of fed up with where he was at, um, you know, working in print journalism, thinking, you know, what, what do I want to do in five years? And I, and I said, well, I still want to be in journalism because I, I still kind of love it and I think there's a, va- there's a lot of value in it. So I went back to this program. I went into this program and it turned out to be the, the perfect thing for me. I picked up a whole bunch of digital skills. Um, it was a Saturday class. It was for eight hours. They would bring in uh, working journalists who would come in and talk about, you know, how they did their jobs, you know, the digital skills they used to, to be storytellers. And, you know, I came away every Saturday. My, my head was, was sort of on fire with all of these ideas, and I would use them at, at my job. And eventually I would use them at my new job at, at Federal News Radio. But the program was kind of winding down, and I was thinking – one Saturday, I was like, you know, you know, I find a lot, so much value. I'm going to really miss the, these conversations of the working journalists coming in. And I talked to a couple of other people who I worked with who were also happened to be in the program. And, and they sort of sort of said the same thing. And, and I saw that there was value for, for journalists uh, like me who are in mid-career, uh, who were seeing the industry kind of in turmoil and changing under them. Uh, being told that they had to pick up all these new skills, not understanding how they were going to get them, um, and, and also being aware of the fact that it was kind of privileged that I lived in D.C. that it had this type of program where these types of conversations were going on, and knowing, you know, wouldn't it be great if if you could bring these conversations to other parts of the country, other types of newsrooms, and that was kind of the the, the germ of the idea that that grew into it's all journalism. And so mm-hmm. I, did, I did that with two classmates, uh, Jolie Lee and uh, Megan Clorty. Um, and, uh, you know, Jolie stayed for about six or seven months, and, and Megan was with me for about almost two years. Uh, she still works at WTOP in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I pretty much continued it, and we've been, you know, been doing a podcast for, um, for almost six years now, uh, a weekly podcast, and interviewing um, – working journalists, um, media people about how they do their jobs. So talk to me a little bit about 
what kinds of information you're trying to get at in your conversations with working journalists? Um, you know, looking at things like on the media and, and whatnot, a lot of times when they have a journalist who comes on, they're talking about a particular issue, yeah. the, the story they're covering, but they're not actually talking about the job they're doing and how they do it. And that was really kind of our, our, our approach is like, tell me, you know, okay, you covered the Boston bombing. Um, tell me how you put together this this video package, this mm-hmm. this uh, this data analytics that went around it and presented it. You know, what was your thought process? You know, how did you gather all this data to put together to tell this story? So that was kind of our approach. And what I discovered, um, which, which surprised me in the, in the first uh, few months, was that it was not people like me who were uh, sort of seeking this show out. It was actually younger people, people who had just come out of college, who were trying to get jobs in journalism, who may or may not have had those, those skills taught to them because – as the journalism industry was it was an upheaval, so was the uh, journalism education uh, industry. Industry, it's an, if that's a, if yeah. that's a thing, um, and so you know that was that was also for us. You know, understanding that that was we were we were there to help people to learn skills to better themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't coming from a place that we know all this stuff. We're going to tell you how to do it. We're going to learn this stuff together. So on the one hand, you can you can be a, a source for education for aspiring journalists or people who, are want, who want to pick up some new skills. On the other hand, I want to ask you a question. Why do you think journalists should get involved with podcasting, or should they? Well, I, I, I think everybody should have a podcast. Okay, good. <laughs> I, that's the question that you – know, that's the way I answer that question. Everybody should be podcasting. Um, you know, when, when, so when the internet sort of arrived in newsrooms, there was this kind of push to pick up these new skills to do Twitter, to do social media, yeah. to blog. Uh, I would say that probably the biggest equivalent to um, to podcasting is blogging. This idea of you sort of communicating to your audience, you know, talking about your expertise, um, sort of enhancing your brand um, through a podcast. So, so there's that. And then the other thing is. Um, podcasting and journalists – the reason people should be doing podcasts is because – journalists should be doing podcasts is because it, it's something that can enhance the work that you're doing. It's a different way of communicating with your audience. It's a very personal way. Podcasting, audio, can, you know, storytelling is, is a very passive form of, of storytelling. It's something that people listen to when they're exercising, when they're doing the dishes, when they're you know, walking the dog. It's, it, they're listening to a podcast. It's a very personal – uh, connection that you have with your audience, um, and that's something that you really don't get anyplace else in the, in the mm-hmm. newsroom. And that's that's one way that one reason why I would say it's important. It's it's a way for you to communicate differently and to build a strong bond with your your audience. You'll find that a lot of the successful podcasts before we were going, we were talking about Mark Maron. One, you know, Mark Maron has a has a, a pretty rabid following because they because people identify with him. They've they've developed mm-hmm. this relationship with him that he sort of unburdens himself. Uh, to them. Um, and that's pretty common with all types of podcasts mm-hmm. is that this is the person who is your companion in a car for as you're going in, driving, talking to you about this thing that you really care about. You, 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 it, it's a very personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, it's a different way, but also it's a way to enhance your reporting. Um, you know, go deep on a particular story, you know, provide, put, maybe put a voice behind uh, some of the stories you do. Uh, that's that's yeah. one of the many reasons. I find that interesting because on the one hand, um, 
so much of training for journalists is about learning how to, I think, in some ways to remove your personal voice and self from the story that, uh, you know, it seems like in some ways the tenets of objectivity are to you are an objective observer and you're simply reporting. Um, and then the podcast is uh, impulse is more about storytelling and, and your voice. And I wonder if these two things are intention or if they have to be, because I think that might be a false tension. I, I'm, you know, I like to view myself as, as a bit of a, um, a forward thinking re- revolutionary about what is happening with our industry. You know, I'm a podcaster, but I consider myself a digital journalist and, and all that means. And that the old sort of journalism structures that came up, the way that the news was distributed, all those things kind of fell away because their business models did not sort of operate in this environment. And the idea of trying to create and keep those structures going, I don't think is is sustainable into the future. So what that means then is we need to exist in this environment. And this environment is a personal environment. The audience wants people to talk to them. They, they want to know um, the, the people who are sharing their stories. They want to feel, you know, it's a sense of people value authenticity now. They seek it out. And uh, podcasting is a very bare um, example of that. You, you see, it's, it's right out there in your face. But you see it in all different types of digital journalism. You see it in social media and you know, in Facebook Live and the way people interact with their audience. So how has that interaction changed in your view? What's different? We used to be broadcasters. I don't mean that in a, in a broadcast journalism way. But I mean, you know, we used to broadcast the news. We would tell people what the story was. Mm-hmm. When digital journalism came along, it, it became less about us dictating and more about us listening. Uh, so even though po- well, a podcast is just somebody talking, you know, you could you could argue that that's somebody talking at you. It's actually very conversational, um, and, and people are more comfortable with that. And people that's that's how they want to consume their news moving mm-hmm. forward, and that creates problems. Um, and I think we're seeing that all play out as as this kind of amorphous. Um, you know, form of journalism tries to come into some sort of shape. Um, these questions come up about you know the ethics and and transparency and whatnot. So, what's the journalist's value in your estimation in this new environment of digital media? With those changes you just mentioned, with regard to the relationship with the audience. Um, I think the values of journalism is, are the things that make us different. I think for a long time and during this, this transformation, a lot of people thought it was the newspapers that made us different, that we had a newspaper, it was delivered to people, that, that we controlled the message. No, journalists, journalists don't own the news. Mm-hmm. They own their story, the story they tell, the words they use to, t- to, to relate the story, their reporting, they own that. But the news is going to happen without a reporter or not. Um, and the, the audience is going to find that news however they, they want to find it. We just did a podcast where we, we talked to a bunch of college students and asked them, you know, where they get the news. I think most of them were said they got it from social media, most of them got, or, or, um, or push notifications. There were very few of them that said that they – I don't think any of them really said that they read a newspaper. Uh, there was one – there was only one who said that uh, he watched TV news – he watched TV news as more of a lark. His roommates could could watch Fox and CNN and see how they 
you know, sort of battle out the same sort of story. And even that is, is reflective and revelatory of what's going on in, in our media. It's important for us as journalists to figure out how we can bring those things that are of value to our audience to more to the forefront. And I think people are still hungry for that. Fact-checking, um, you know, the, the sort of the rise of fact-checking websites to, uh, you know, somebody mentioned going to a fact-checking website during the uh, uh, the State of the Union address, address uh, you know, verification, transparency, you know, this whole idea of this, I mean, they were banding, out, banding about the word fake news and, you know, trying to come to a sophisticated understanding of what fake news is that on the one hand, it's, it's, you know, something that's trying to convince people to think a certain way, but then also it's a label that, that some people use to sort of beat back uh, the free press. <laughs> We're in, our industry is in, is in flux. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's not going to, it's not going to resolve itself anytime quicker yeah. because the technology is changing. The, you know, in five years, I mean, our delivery systems may be completely different. That's, again, why it behooves us not to worry about trying to prop up structures and think more about circling ourselves around our, 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 our journalism ethics. I like the fact that what you're talking about is news values, journalism values staying consistent while the technology changes. I think back to uh, David Simon, the former Boston, uh, Baltimore Sun reporter, who was um, nearly apoplectic about blogs, that people were reprinting his, right. republishing his work. But it seems to me that the real problem was not just necessarily redistribution. That was a problem, obviously. But also just where did the values go? I mean, are, can you control the values of this blogger versus this blogger? And I think thinking about journalism, regardless of the, the platform, the technology, but as a set of values... Yeah, is a key, um, right? And that's and that's going to be really tough in, in this environment. We've seen, uh, you know, I think the 2016 election, the campaign in the election, was a pretty eye-opening experience for a lot of journalists for a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons. Our old style approach to covering a campaign as, as sort of a game, our sort of idea that you know, there's so many things that that that, that you could talk about about the election and the lead up to it, you know, the, the, the influence of bots on, uh, mm. on, on social media, the, the, the influence of social media and, uh, of fake news or fabricated news stories, the way things were targeted for two specific audiences, whether there was any collusion or not with the, the Russian or government or not. Uh, but also, you know, mainstream news outlets, not reporting on large swaths of the population. I don't think that has been adequately addressed. The fact that, you know, if we are truly ethical, if we are truth, truly, you know, listening to everybody and representing everybody, we need to be doing that, you know, and telling telling diverse, more diverse types of stories, having more diverse newsrooms, people of, of different backgrounds in higher decision-making positions in companies. Uh, that needs to happen because the demographics of the United States are changing, and that's going to have an impact on the way our government runs. It's going to have an impact on, on the way people are going to consume their news. You know, I've referenced this a couple of times today. That we did this podcast about this study that was done down in uh, around the Bowling Green area of uh, Kentucky. You know, a very red county, but it had a university in it in a in a factory section of it that were very blue and purple. 
And, you know, they did a survey of news consumption in, in that community and everybody was kind of dissatisfied with the news that they were getting. Certainly the news they were getting from the national news. They, they didn't feel represented. They didn't feel they were telling their story. They looked at somebody on TV that didn't look like them, that didn't have a background like them. So, but at the same time, those people were still interested in getting local news. And they, they had a desire to, to you know, have news, news that they could trust. They talked about things like you know, having to unfriend people on Facebook who who were sharing stories that, that they disagreed with that they didn't like or you know ending relationships they'd had for years. You know, the news industry is in flux, but the, the news consumer is in flux as well. Um, and uh, again, we did this podcast this afternoon where we talked to a bunch of students. And I think in and among all of those questions, there's this sort of sense that, you know, to be a, what it's like to be a news consumer now is that you have to make these kind of choices. I think several of them said, more than several of them said that they um, that they followed particular news sites and, and particular celebrities, newsmakers, uh, because they agreed with them. So this is you know here we have a society that is not getting the the, the six o'clock news that is not getting the the daily paper that has a variety of news stories that a newsroom that is trying to provide you balance they, we have a, we have an audience that is selectively choosing which side to listen to, mm. which is a very different environment um, going forward. Yeah, it, you know I, as you were talking, I was thinking about. You know, the lack of representation, as you said, lack of – and thinking – I wonder if uh, if podcasting with its relatively low barrier to entry and its relatively low uh, risk in terms of um, infrastructure and, and the kind of technical know-how you need to have could in some ways be a partial solution to like the low-power FM right. debacle, right? So. Low-power FM just did not take off. It was meant to serve communities. But could podcasting be considered as a local alternative? So I'm really intrigued by the idea of, of sort of a locally targeted podcast. So we part – you know, like your podcast targets journalists. Right. Can you target geographic I, yeah, I, areas? I don't know off the top of my head of any yeah. that do outside of maybe like a, like a, a Washington Post podcast, yeah. which technically is, you know, a Washington audience. But yeah. there are – and there are other uh, like news outlets that have – like city papers that'll have uh, podcasts that are going to do certain, you know, state house type yeah. type podcasting. Um, well, you know, you don't need. I mean, to to make a, a daily newspaper function, to make a network program function, you need to have you have a pretty big audience. Mm-hmm. With with podcasts, you don't need a big audience. You just need the right audience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's a that's a business model that. You know, advertisers and business people are are comfortable with. You know, maybe you can't get me a hundred thousand uh, general readers, but maybe you can get me five thousand people who are really interested in barbecue <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I can I can uh, advertise my barbecue to them, or I can advertise my golf clubs to them because they're t- five thousand people who listen to this golf podcast. Um, so that's a that's a model, but that's you know that's advertising. There there are lots of different ways to make yeah. money in in podcasting, but I don't know uh, the people who are going to make big money in podcasts. The the networks are going to make big big money in podcasts. Those are going to be people who have already have established large audiences. Yeah. People like Adam Carolla who started out in 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 radio who translated their you know their mm-hmm. their his audience over to that crowd, and then he. 
But, you know, he's a great example of somebody who takes a podcast and milks it in so many different ways. He, he uses it to sell his goods, to sell tickets to whatever he's doing. Um, you know, he's, he's financed movies through his podcast. The podcast is, is both a platform for him for his creative output, but it's also a marketing platform for everything he's doing. It's an integral part of the Adam Carolla brand. And you see that play out in some, you know, we talk about Mark, Mark, uh, Marin, mm-hmm. um, you know, he talked about, he started the podcast because I think he, he said many times that he was close to killing himself. Yeah. And it was he was at, he was at his last straw and said, "Well, maybe I'll try this podcasting thing." And he's a he's a perfect example of somebody who has you know he's a performer, so he he's he's got a way of of saying things and he he knows how to relate to people and make something entertaining. But somebody who just slowly built and built an audience, and now you know now he's on TV shows. He's you know the, there's a lot of opportunities in podcasting, not just for entertainers, but for for newsrooms and, uh, you know, I I think it's, I I don't want to say it's the end all be all the answer to everything, but I think it's an answer to, uh, you know, bringing news forward, making it more personal and, uh, you know, helping you to do your mission in a a better and a different way. Well, on that note, I'll say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And it's been extraordinary pleasure talking to you. Yeah, no, I had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. And that'll do it for another installment of Modern Media. Our guest today was Michael O'Connell. He's the senior digital editor at Federal News Radio in Washington, D.C., as well as one of the founders and hosts of the podcast, It's All Journalism. He's also the author of the book, Turn Up the Volume, A Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting. You can find a link to his book and his podcast on our website, www.modernmediapodcast.org. Our web manager is Chris Newton, and you can follow us on Twitter at at media underscore podcast. Modern Media is a production of the Polium Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University. Until next time, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media.